Hello and welcome to the Sisters podcast. My name is Sama and I am joined by my sister and co-host Faza. Hello. And today we are going to be talking about some of the books that we read this year. So to give you a bit of context, both Fuzzy and I set pretty high reading goals on Goodreads this year. And initially I had set myself a goal of 100 books. How many did you set yourself, Fuzzy? I set a goal of 40 books, which is my goal every year. And I've read 55 so far. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I brought my goal down to 80 books, which I just finished as of this evening. Thank you. And I actually decided to be, I guess, less ambitious than initially planned because I realized that when I was getting through the books as quickly as I was, I didn't have time to really consider them and think about them before I moved on to the next book. Yeah, I feel the same way even with my 55 books. I feel like I am forgetting the ones that I read towards the beginning of the year. So I want to make it a habit next year to write down a few notes whenever I read a book. Yeah. And I've been following a lot of the books that you've read on Goodreads and often you inspire. We love Goodreads. We we love Goodreads. It's my favorite social media. It's the best social media. And it's the most fun when you see other people reading books. Like it doesn't make you feel any type of way except for excited for them. I know. And genuinely curious to read what they're reading. It's the only social media where I don't feel self-conscious about being too active. Hmm. You know, it's true. And there's people on my Goodreads who I haven't spoken to in like 10 years. Most of my friends on Goodreads are people who I don't speak to in real life, but I know intimately what they're reading and I kind of love it. It's a really wholesome (laughs) (laughs) way to stay connected with people. Yeah. And you're right. It's the people that I definitely am not going to speak to on a day-to-day basis I definitely don't have their phone numbers or anything, but I just like seeing what they're reading. Yeah. And I like seeing their ratings and their reviews. And I'm like, oh, what did this person think about this book that I read, even though I haven't met them in 10 years? Have you ever made any Goodreads friends? No, I've followed a couple of people based on reviews that they've written. Yeah. But I've never had like a mutual follow. Okay. <laughs> um, Mosey just probably dropped something. Should I go check? <laughs> okay. And we're back. It's all good. <laughs> Mosey just knocked over some things, but it's completely fine. Um, I have actually, I don't know if they're friends, but definitely I've got some mutual follows. And I think we both seem to like the same types of books. So we've just decided that we follow each other and like each other's comments and Mm. reviews and things like that and i have to brag about my one i knew you would (laughs) my one mutual follow is roxanne gay and i don't know how she saw my (laughs) reviews but she started following me and obviously i follow her so that's a really exciting thing and like honestly roxanne gay would never follow me on twitter she would never follow me on instagram 
Mm-hmm. I mean, what other social medias are there? Facebook? No, thank Goodreads you. Goodreads is niche, but powerful. It is so powerful. And I'm connected to this woman who I absolutely adore in terms of her writing. And, like, I think she's such an imaginative storyteller. Mm. How else would I be connected to her? Has she ever liked any of your reviews? She has, actually. That's kind of how it started. So I wrote this review about this, like, Afrofuturist anthology mm-hmm. and she liked it and then she started following me and then did she like anything else i don't think so okay but that's okay okay but that's okay mm-hmm. but anyway it's also nice to be connected to her because she reads a lot of interesting books yeah so then i got a lot of recommendations from her yeah so then it inspires me to read other books yeah i think was she the one who read the death of vivek oji i can't remember where i found it but i remember it was something on social media yeah that prompted me Mm. actually i think it was a youtuber that i follow Mm. um tashira from politics and fashion who i adore as like a fashion youtuber but then she also mentioned that she was reading this book Mm. and then i was pretty inspired to check it out myself and it ended up being a book that i really like this year yeah yeah so books books a great way to connect it's true yeah so true and this year we were reflecting on oh like reaching and then exceeding our goodreads um initial targets that we had set for ourselves and Mm -hmm. then i asked you what some of your favorite books were this year yeah and we read a lot of the same books, you and I. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we listen to audiobooks mostly. Do you want to do a plug for the app that we both Libby use? Libby is the best app. <laughs> Tell us. You'll ever get. If you still have an Audible subscription, throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're in a, like a non-North American European country, then keep it. But if you have access to a good public library, get your free library card, connect it to Libby, and thank me. (laughs) Because you basically get unlimited audiobooks for free, and it's great. And I honestly like the UI better than Audible. I agree. The UI is great. Yeah. I have to say Fuzzy put me on to Libby, although she also put me on to Audible. But that's back when we didn't know. We didn't know. Yeah. And then I would say probably about two years ago, I was mentioning something about an audiobook to you and you said, are you still using Audible? Yeah. And I said, yes. And you said, oh my God, I cannot believe how backwards you are. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, what what do you mean? You're the one who put me on to Audible. Yeah. And then you were like, no, Libby is the new wave. Get on to Libby. And not enough people are writing it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. Libby has been a game changer in my life because you can borrow so many books Mm. for free, audiobooks, and even ebooks if you're into that. If you're into it. Sometimes I am. Like sometimes. But when I used to see people who read like 50 to 100 books a year, I was like, how do you do it? So true. You know? Because, like, are you buying the books? Are you waiting a month on Audible? Like, I know there's the physical library, but they usually take much longer to get your books. Unless your mama. Unless your mama. Our Our mother mother. reads about 100 physical books a year. 
But then you have to like go to the library. It becomes a whole ordeal for her. It's snowing. And then the nice thing about audiobooks is that if someone returns it early, you can get it immediately. Yes. In fact, that happened not today. Yeah. When Fuzzy had finished an audiobook, I wanted to read it and then I skipped the line early and and I got to read it and finish it today. Well, listen to it today. Yeah. And we can talk about that book in a minute. Yes. But definitely want people to be aware of Audible and if you are in North America not Audible. Sorry, not Audible. Scrap Forget Audible. <laughs> Scrap <laughs> Audible. If you are in North America, get yourself a Libby account. Mm-hmm. And And a Goodreads account. And so a Goodreads account. See what you're reading. Yeah. And I guess I can link both of our Goodreads accounts in the show notes. Okay, okay show notes. Um, so as I was mentioning, we were reflecting on the books that we had read this year, and I asked Fuzzy what her favorite novels were. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, one one downfall of Goodreads is that it doesn't show you the books that you've read this year and their ratings. You kind of have to go and check each book and the rating that you I gave them. I have a them. lot of UX improvement suggestions to Goodreads, at Goodreads. At Goodreads. If you're listening. But I think what's so wholesome about Goodreads yeah. is that they probably would just take it or they'd be like, you know what? The people who, like, come to Goodreads are just here to share the books. It's like, true. I don't think they've changed their UI in, like, 10 years. 100% they have not. It, it, there's no money-making scheme. It's, like, just for people who love books. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. I love that too, but I feel like, you know, a Goodreads wrapped yes. would be really fun. Okay, but like something really fun that they do mm-hmm. was I reached my goal today, yeah. and then it said congratulations, and there was like confetti. Okay, that's also <laughs> in an iPhone message. Yeah, but I'm just saying, also, actually, to be fair, Goodreads did change a little bit of their UI. Did you notice? No. When you go to like your profile, mm-hmm. it has these like circular icons that come up. It's it's giving it's very twenty twelve. I know it's definitely not like modern UI. The eve of twenty three. Yeah. Anyway, we can we can get into a deep dive of Goodreads's UX in another episode. <laughs> <laughs> but because of this downfall of Goodreads's UX. We did end up going through pretty much all the books that we read. Mm-hmm. And you noticed something about the kinds of books that you were reading this year. A the theme. Memoirs. A theme, if you will. Yes. I read 10 memoirs this year. That's pretty interesting. And a lot of them were amongst my favorite books of the year. That's tea. It is tea. Because I don't typically think of myself as a memoir reader. Neither do I. And like, does memoir reader conjure an image for you? I used to think memoirs were so boring. Yeah. But I really enjoyed them. And the interesting thing is, I think only one of the memoirs was by a person that I knew of mm. before. Gloria Steinem. No, I haven't read Gloria Steinem's memoir. Oh, okay. I randomly read Selma Blair's memoir. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And it wasn't that great. Sure. It was probably my least favorite memoir that I've read this year. It wasn't bad. It was just, like, not that insightful to me. Um, But everybody else, I didn't know who they were before I read their memoir. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing. It is. I think, as you said, 
I used to imagine memoirs to be these very dull books written by old people mm. kind of at the end of their lives. Yeah. Maybe even ghost written or like, you yeah. know, somebody else doing the majority of the biography for them. Mm-hmm. But as you're saying, a lot of the memoirs, and even I read a lot of memoirs this year. I read eight, yeah. uh, which is like 10% of all the books that I read. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed them too. And I think, as you mentioned, they're written mostly by young people and they're not like super, super famous people either. Like unknown people. That's true. Unknowns often. as well. Yeah. But I'm still interested in their lives. And yeah, like you said, most of them are young people. I think I also used to think of memoirs as, you know, like presidents yes. and stuff. And and then by virtue of their position, they have to be very diplomatic mm-hmm. in their storytelling. And it's just kind of boring. But these were very candidly written memoirs and I just enjoyed them a lot. And I think I am a memoir reader now. Me too. And I know that I think both of us read Crying in H Mart last year. Yeah. I think that really started the memoir train for me. For me as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about why we both like that book? Mm. You recommended it to me. I did. And I think what we both really liked about it was how honest it was. Mm. And it was really heartfelt and it wasn't glamorizing um, the author's relationship with her mother it's Mm -hmm. really about her mother's death and how she processed it um and she ties in very nicely to her relationship with like food and how she connected with her multicultural background through food and specifically going to h mart to buy korean food Mm -hmm. when she's in north america and then you know how her mother showed her love through food and cooking yeah and i think for a lot of quote-unquote immigrant memoirs it's almost like they have to be like these heroic tales Mm -hmm. of overcoming strife and almost being like the perfect example of like a hard-working pull-up-by-your-bootstrap type of person and so this author writing as like a second-generation American I think she complicates that narrative a little bit more Mm -hmm. But not in a way that I think panders to the white Western gaze either. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And that seemed to be a recurring relationship in a lot of the memoirs that I read this year. Yeah, I think in memoirs, you have to have, I mean, at least the ones that I've read, there is some degree of suffering mm-hmm. and trauma um, that seems to be what makes a compelling story a lot of the time. But I think you also, to have a successful narrative, like you have to tell it in a way that's not just depressing yeah. and bleak. Like either you put kind of a hopeful inspirational spin on it or like a humorous spin on it or I don't know all of the ones that I've read have had something where I'm like oh this person's been through something pretty intense or many things Mm. but they managed to convey that 
in a way that's like honors what they went through but also doesn't leave you just feeling helpless and bad yeah I would say that memoirs that I enjoyed the most this year and I'm going to include crying in H Mart as well kind of Mm. um and like Gloria Steinem's memoirs which I really enjoyed My Life on the Road um and a few of the other ones that I'm just forgetting right now Mm. I think what they what made them compelling to me was the very honest interrogation of their own behaviors and choices and like Aftershocks by Nadia Wosu like these were not I think neatly tied up stories which is again what I think a lot of these like presidential memoirs often look like it's Mm -hmm. like this was my grand story and now I'm at the end of it and here are the lessons Mm -hmm. that are very sanitized for the public to consume whereas I think when you have somebody who's still alive still very much in the mix of their lives they can come out of it with a like complicated type of a thing i remember there was another one by t kara forgetting their name who also writes about like their family and it's it's not a tidy ending Mm -hmm. and i think that's what makes it again compelling for us is because it really does give you more insight into another person's life and then you realize that there must be lots of people who are experiencing a similar thing. Yeah. So memoirs, apparently, Mm. (laughs) are things that we like. Things that we like. And And I think they're also good stepping stones to learn more about somebody. Mm -hmm. Then, because, like, I've read memoirs by authors who I didn't know what their other works were before I read that. And then I'm like, oh, now I'm really interested to read their perspectives on other things as well. That's true. It's also given me insight into their work. Mm-hmm. So I've I've read, for example, Bernadine Evaristo's memoir, mm-hmm. which then made her novels and her fiction um, like richer to me. Mm. which I loved Girl, Woman, Other. I wasn't sure about Soul Tourists, but then after reading her memoir, it like all made sense to me. And I was like, oh, in a way, these are biographical. Mm. Um, so that's kind of helpful to see as well. Because sometimes I think as a reader, especially when you're reading fiction that you really like, you're like, where do these people get these stories from? Yeah. And then often you realize, actually, these are things that happen to them in a way. And we tell fictional stories as a way to maybe process them. Yeah. Which is quite compelling. Do you remember any of the other memoirs that you read? Uh, I liked Aftershocks a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking through them. I read a memoir that's a book of essays called Crying in the Bathroom. Hmm. Um, it starts out a bit like not my cup of tea Mm -hmm. but then I thought it got pretty insightful and it's also a story of uh like a second generation immigrant um and I don't know it was it was good (laughs) would we describe the how by 
Irsa Daily Ward as a memoir? No, she also has a memoir. Okay. The Terrible. Interesting. Which I disappointingly didn't love as much. Hmm. You know, one memoir that I didn't really like that I was kind of surprised by Mm. was um, Living and Loving Out Loud, a memoir by Cornel West. Mm. And I think it's because I realized what a imperfect character individual Cornel West is. Mm. And I think because I've heard him speak on so many topics so insightfully and I've read his books and, you know, I think of him as almost like a larger than life individual Mm. to hear the, I'll just be honest, like to to hear the way that like his personal life is a mess and the way that he's treated a lot of the women in his life Mm. and his partners and his wives and lovers and stuff. I'm like, oh my God. And it's really humanized him in a way Mm. where like, unfortunately, sad to say, you can be Cornell West and you still ain't shit in many ways yeah and that's so sad to me but it's also really good to see mm-hmm. and i think it's it's important for people especially i would say in north america to not stan anybody mm. and in a way i was a bit of a cornell west stan yeah and then i read his own like autobiography in his mm-hmm. own words and i was like oh my god you are so damaged yeah and that's not to say that like i don't respect any of the things he said like i absolutely respect him as an intellectual and i do think he's a great and important thinker of our time Mm. but he's not stan worthy yeah i think like you said standing as a concept is is a dangerous road it really is what else did i read I My Life on the Road by, by Gloria Steinem is a great book. I highly recommend it. First of all, I love Gloria Steinem. If there was somebody to stand, maybe it would be her. Mm-hmm. And she writes about her life through the medium of travel. So she's somebody who's like a New Yorker. Um, well, she has been for the later part of her life. She doesn't have a driver's license. She doesn't like to fly. So she takes like most of her transportation through taxis Mm. um and has traveled all over the united states in taxis mostly Mm. um and at all times of day or night she's been working you know as a journalist and as a speaker and feminist intellectual for more than 50 years so she has this great perspective on like how things have changed with time and then she's really a believer in like grassroots movements and grassroots organizing. So she she talks about, for example, going with taxi drivers to uh, truck stops in the middle of the night and speaking to people who work the night shift driving trucks and learning so much from them and also traveling around India, for example, when she was a young person um, Mm. and learning how to organize from grassroots organizers in India and taking the train with you know, lower middle class women in India in their compartments overnight and learning from them. And so it's a, it's a really great book in terms of learning about her life, but I think also learning about the perspective that she brings. Um, having really experienced so much of the world in a really down-to-earth way. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes me respect her so much as well because a lot of people might dismiss her on the surface as like this 
white first wave feminist. But I don't think you can dismiss her at all. If you read her life story, if you read anything that she's written, and if you see how her politics have remained really consistent over time mm-hmm. um, and, and very intersectional and very aware. So if anything, I guess I could stand Gloria, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think Gloria needs me to stand her. I don't think she wants you to. She doesn't want me to. And like, yeah. So mm-hmm. I just, I guess, love her even more the more I find out about her. Mm-hmm. And this woman is amazing. She's, what, 89 years old at this point. She's a true gem. Yeah. And if I could, you know, have dinner with anybody dead or alive, she would definitely be one of the people that I, who I'd love to speak to. Mm-hmm. And just listen to her. Yeah. She's definitely a hero of mine. Or should I say, a shero. Okay. <laughs> She definitely does not need me to say that. And another memoir that I read this year was We Have Always Been Here by Samra Habib. And I did actually speak about that in a previous podcast episode. So if you're interested, please check out my thoughts on that. And finally, what we wanted to talk about today (laughs) was a book that we've both read and one that I think sums up a lot of the things that we've been interested in this year in terms of the kinds of fiction that we're drawn to and it's also the most recent book that we've both read Mm -hmm. i believe have you read another book i haven't finished another book (laughs) (laughs) you finished it yesterday i finished it today yeah and it's called if an egyptian cannot speak english Mm -hmm. by noor naga what are your thoughts on the book first of all how did you hear about it Fatima told me about it. Interesting. Well, I'd seen the poster for it on the Scotia Bank across the street from us. Okay. Because it's nominated for a Scotia Bank prize. Um, but it was there along with other posters and I didn't really think about reading it mm-hmm. specifically. Um, and then I was staying with my friend Fatima who has a very discerning eye when it comes to books. Like she's very harsh on goodreads really i should follow yeah. her on goodreads yeah she gives out a five star like once a year <laughs> <laughs> um and she recommended it to me so i was like okay mm. let me check it out then and i really enjoyed it i think so it's about um a woman who a young woman who lives in the u.s and then she moves to Cairo her family is originally Egyptian but she never lived there Um, and it's basically her kind of navigating her new life in Cairo trying to assimilate um, while also holding on to the parts of her identity that make her her Hmm. um, including her shaved head which is something that catches a lot of attention And then she meets this man who is from a village in Egypt, um, but lived in Cairo during the revolution as a photographer and also has a drug addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, And they kind of come from very different worlds, but they fall into this toxic relationship. And I think that overall, it's just a very like poetic book Mm. almost. 
And I think she captures nuances of things really well. Yeah. Like the nuances of falling into an abusive relationship. Um, just like the her navigating her identity as well. Like simultaneously wanting to blend in, but also stick up for her beliefs and like uniqueness. Um, and then she also has two friends who are privileged Egyptians and kind of wanting the proximity of that in as much as it kind of protects her mm-hmm. um, but also being quite horrified at like how they view lower class Egyptians and people who just differ from them and yeah I, I thought she just captured a lot of those feelings really well I agree. I think she captured the experiences of being in diaspora yeah, really well. Mm-hmm. So when she talks about her life in New York and kind of how she, I guess, exaggerates or even exploits her Egyptianness and proximity to blackness in some ways mm-hmm. um, for clout yeah. in New York. And then those things are, I mean, they're, they're not c- considered to be anything special or attractive in Egypt Mm -hmm. and then in Egypt also being seen as a foreigner even though she's Egyptian Um, and and being reminded of that constantly Mm -hmm. with people speaking to her in English or assuming things about her Um, and I think we can relate to that Mm -hmm. having grown up in diaspora as well yeah as Pakistani Canadians Mm -hmm. where like I think you have a desire to belong to both places and then you know not really claiming full ownership of either and I mean like that story has been told a billion times but I think that like she did it in a really again like honest and um, poetic way yeah as you described yeah I think it like not to discount people's stories just because they are cliches. Yeah. Um, but I think the generic kind of, I'm not fully this and I'm not fully that. <laughs> like, we've, we've just seen it so many times. And again, like, it's a valid experience. I think we've both felt it. Yeah. But I do have an appreciation for people who can capture that feeling in an original way. Yes. Um, and I think she does that. And a lot of it, it's not, like, on the nose, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, A lot of that is kind of unraveled through her relationship with this man, through her relationship with her friends. Yeah. Like, it's it's kind of implied more than her saying. Yeah. Sometimes that, like, oh, I'm partially this and partially that. Exactly. And I think that this book clearly is written for an audience who understands that. Like, I yeah. I don't think that this book may appeal to somebody who fully belongs to one place. Yeah, and that was an interesting thing because I read some of the most critical reviews of it on yeah. Goodreads, and a lot of them were from Egyptians who were like, she's romanticizing the West, like, she's so critical of Egypt. Um, you can tell she's not really from here. And I think that's like another topic that we feel strongly about like people 
if you grew up as part of a diaspora, your viewpoints being invalidated. Yes. Um, but I actually didn't think that it felt like she was writing for a Western gaze. I don't think she was writing for a Western gaze at all. That, that was the funny thing, I think, because that was the criticism. Um, but I didn't feel that because I thought a lot of the subtle things she talks about are really only appreciated by other people in the diaspora. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is right. Like they're appreciated by people who notice these things, you know, like I think if I was to write a book about Pakistan, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe some of the things that I would describe people who've grown up with it and just live with it and experience it all the time would be like, what are you even talking about? Yeah. You know, but it's like when you have an awareness because you're different, but also because you understand the context, like that's when you pick up on these subtleties that you described like the nuances and like i don't want to give anything away but maybe the example that you gave about like navigating cairo mm-hmm. was a good one or the the quote that stuck out to you yeah she has this part where she's just in in a taxi and she's trying to give directions um and she uses the word for west in arabic which is not conversational. Mm-hmm. It's more of a formal word, so the driver doesn't understand her. So I think even capturing the tension of like language yeah. is an important theme, where she's constantly using different types of language, like with her, the person she's in a relationship with, kind of um, the difference is like she always uses more childlike language and he has more sophisticated Arabic. But then in other cases like this one, she's using more formal words and not conversational enough so that's another thing um but anyway the driver can't understand her so she's like trying to just point him in the right direction and then she comments about how like the numbers of the road are not always chronological and a lot of the roads don't have names at all and the bridges are named after the date that they were built on rather than their actual names like people refer to it by that um, and she says it's like this city was designed to for a lack of comprehension, kind of. And either you were born there and you know it, or you weren't and you never will. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's relatable to us when we go to Karachi, for example, where it's like, it's not a city that's built for newcomers absolutely not or foreigners or like any new pair of eyes (laughs) yeah and so it's it's alienating because it's like if if this isn't your place like your only place then it's not at all and if you were to ask somebody like you know where is number six because on the map it says it should be here like they would laugh at you yeah and they would be like why are you looking at a map (laughs) you know yeah um so i think she does capture that experience really well but then she's also critical in a way of like the protagonist or herself Mm -hmm. um in terms of like what she expected, I think, from Egypt. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a very, like, self-reflective... Yeah, I like that she didn't pick one side. Like, the two men that she's in a relationship with are kind of polar opposites. Like, one of them is a British man who's very obviously other and a foreigner. 
and she's very critical of his like entitlement I guess in Egypt and just his general vibe and then she's also critical of the Egyptian man and his misogyny and stuff which I think people can get defensive about yeah it's also a reality you know yeah um and I think if you're not allowed to critique that in your own culture then when are you allowed to honestly and not to get too on my soapbox about this but patriarchy is the enemy right and like patriarchy is universal mm. and patriarchy harms everyone and it's true it but expresses she... itself in different ways in different contexts and so it's not a reflection of like egyptian men egyptian culture egyptian yeah. you know religiosity it's like it's patriarchy and that's universal Mm. yeah yeah so another thing i really liked about this book was you know when i finished reading it i googled the author and she grew up very similar to Mm -hmm. us in many ways and in in a sense she has a life that mirrors yours kind of the timeline is a bit jumbled but she was born in Philly, lived in Dubai, lived in Toronto. Um, and lives in Egypt lived now, in, I think. Yeah, lived in Alexandria and Cairo. So, I think she has a very good sense of being the other. Mm-hmm. And I think she captures that really well. And I have to say there's something about growing up in, you know, the Gulf and the Khaliji area where like, your otherness is so obvious mm-hmm. because you are an expat because you know yeah a million different reasons um so i think there's also something really special about seeing an author who grew up with that experience similar to us mm-hmm. writing so well about this experience of diaspora like i would love to see more books from people like that yeah from people like us yeah I think it's a different type of writing than somebody who is, for example, a first-generation immigrant in the U.S., Canada, England, Australia. Like, we've seen these books, you know? Like, respectfully, Jhumpa Lahiri and all these people, that was the the early wave of that. Mm-hmm. We get it. Your food was smelly and you got made fun of in school. Mm-hmm. Like, let's move on. Let's go to the next thing. We're done with the 9-11 sad stories. Yes. Like, we're done with, like, falling in love with the white boy in your class. We're done with, like, hiding your true self from your, you know, parents and, like, wearing a headscarf at home and going out and taking it off. Like, I'm sick of these stories. We do not need any more of them. Yeah. And on the same time, we don't need those stories about, like, growing up in... Pakistan, India, wherever, and then coming to the West and being both scandalized by it and then also wanting to a- adapt to it. Like, we're done with those stories too, respectfully at Kamala Shamsi, respectfully at uh, Mohsin Hamid, Hamid. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need that anymore. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of like storytelling that I'm interested in in the future. And I think. Um, like Nadia Awosu did a great job in Aftershocks of capturing a very similar experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are the kinds of 
nuanced critiques and interrogations of characters that I want to see more of. Yeah. So as we look to 2023, mm. what are your reading goals? I do really enjoy reading, so I still would like to probably hit about 40 to 50 books. Um, but I also want to make sure that I can absorb them fully and reflect on them a bit when I'm done reading rather than immediately jumping to another book. Yeah. So maybe I'll have to decrease the number a bit. Um, but I I think continuing on with mostly reading books by women mm-hmm. of color specifically, but also women and men of color. Um, that's kind of just been a natural theme for me, though, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. the books that I genuinely want to read tend to be written by not white men yeah i think we've read enough from them i think we know what they think i think we know what they're about yeah and i'm over it yeah i mean there are occasional exceptions like the who's the guy who writes a gentleman in moscow oh (laughs) (laughs) i like his books fine (laughs) fair enough they're like really slow and long but there's something comforting about them to me so we'll sprinkle a few in as the token white man (laughs) books fair enough for a very very long time i would say a good almost 10 years or so yeah i exclusively read books by women of color yeah and like mostly i would say like even non-western women Mm -hmm. of color then i kind of expanded it to like western women of color then Western men of color as well, and like mm-hmm. all men of color, I guess. And then, you know, some queer white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just some... need you to have a, something a bit different yeah. about you. And then I think I read a couple of books by some white women, but I, I really, I'm not trying to go, I'm not trying to backslide into reading books by white men. I'm just, no. And it doesn't do it for me. All of the books I've read from indigenous authors this year, I mm. really, really liked. That's so true. I really like them. Yeah. There's been some really good books by indigenous authors that I read this year and last year. Mm-hmm. Um, both fiction and nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And I definitely want to read more books by um, First Nations and indigenous people. I think especially while, you know, living in Canada, being settlers in Canada, like it's so important to know um, the history of this land and the history of the people who've always been custodians of this land. Um and also then to see a lot of the commonalities between our stories from all over the world. Mm-hmm. I've been reading a lot of African literature as well, which I've really, really enjoyed. Branching out just from the Chimamanda Adichies, who I absolutely adore, but also seeing like so many of the other great authors out there. And mm-hmm. then also having traveled within Africa this year, mm-hmm. Morocco, Ghana, South Africa, reading authors from those places and just generally from the continent it's it's been such a great experience because i've always said that there are so many commonalities between all post-colonial states but definitely you know formerly colonized african countries and like pakistan Mm -hmm. and so it's just like a really really comforting read 
Mm-hmm. So much of the time and so much of the critique and the interrogation of like characters and systems and societies is like also yeah. so relatable to us. Glory. Tell us. Glory was a book that I read that I really enjoyed. Um, it hasn't been the most well received by audiences from what I gather on booktube and book talk and goodreads it has like a fairly low rating um and it's not like the most splendidly written book in the world i have to say (laughs) but i thought that it was so relatable it's a book that kind of takes a page out of animal farm um in critiquing political systems using animals as characters to kind of distance you from like the real world people that they're pointing at but it's very obviously about Zimbabwe um and and I learned a lot about Zimbabwe's history from it Mm -hmm. they had uh a president or prime minister in power for 40 years yeah Um, And then he was finally ousted and everybody was very hopeful for the future. And he was replaced by like the former person's right hand man. And so nothing really changed. Yeah. It's I don't know. It captures a lot of the just dysfunction of post-colonial states really well, Mm -hmm. I thought. Yeah. And it is interesting sometimes when other reviewers don't see the brilliance and the insight in a mm-hmm. book that you really enjoy. Yeah. But then it just goes to show, like, hey, not every book is written for every person. It's so true. It's so true. So even if there's books that other people don't like, doesn't mean it's going to be um unenjoyable read for you and similarly there's books that a lot of people really like mm-hmm. that are garbage books like the other the one that you in chemistry i mean some books are really basic yeah i mean i don't want to slam lessons in chemistry on our huge platform that we have <laughs> i'm only like 30 percent in but it's it's not grabbing me in any way yeah and it's one of the most highly rated books that I've seen on Goodreads. So, yeah, don't trust everybody else's opinion. Read things for yourself. And and also, I guess, a question that we may want to reflect on mm-hmm. is, what do we hope to get out of books? Yeah. Which is maybe something I haven't really thought about in this way before. Mm-hmm. I enjoy reading. I enjoy stories. I enjoy nonfiction. Actually, I really enjoy nonfiction. Nonfiction is an interesting one for me. Tell us. Because, I mean, memoirs are nonfiction, and we've talked about how much I love memoirs. <laughs> yeah. But I find that a lot of the nonfiction books that I've read this year that have, a like, a thesis mm-hmm. point, I want them to be about a quarter of the size that they are. Mm. Because I feel like with fiction, the story is unfolding throughout the book. And even fiction books, there are a few where I'm like, okay, you could have cut this down by a bit. But so many nonfiction books, I'm like, this should have been an essay. Yeah. Or this should have been like a 30-page book. A pamphlet. A pamphlet. (laughs) A manifesto. (laughs) 
you know. Like, I read this book recently called 4,000 Weeks, Mm. Time Management for Mortals. Yeah. And it started out really well. I thought I was going to really like it. Because the first few chapters were strong, and the last chapter was strong. Yeah. But the middle, I felt like he'd already just said his point. Yeah. And it's not a very difficult point to agree with. And so I think he was just like, okay, what next? You know what? Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt you. Sounds like that book was written by a man. It definitely was. It definitely was. There were a few times where it felt like it was written by a man, which put me off. Because um, <laughs> one of the things, his main thing is like, stop putting so much pressure on yourself and there's no perfect way to live your life. You're not going to do everything you want to. Um, that's kind of the main vibe. And I, I agree with it in some situations, but then he has this whole speech or, like, rant about modern relationships and dating. What? And about how, like, we have too much FOMO and that's why we're scared to commit because it's, like, we have access to so many other people on apps and things like that. Sounds like, can I just say, sounds like a boomer. Oh, yeah. Sounds like somebody who has no idea what it's actually like out there. Yeah, and his whole thing is, like, just settle. And I'm like, only a man would say that. Only a man of a certain generation as well would say that. Yeah. So there's there are definitely problems. And I feel like if he hadn't felt like he needed to write a whole book about it, that yeah. point would have never been made. Yeah. Because it was kind of in the middle of just this, like, the middle... 65% of the book is just him, like, waffling. You know... Okay. He just goes on this existential stream of thought. I hate that. When yeah. men do that. Yeah. It's really unnecessary. Because I feel like he had a, a solid enough point. Yes. And a strong beginning that someone should have told him this should be an essay, it should be a blog post, it yeah. should be a pamphlet. Like... You don't need to write a whole book about that. And unfortunately, I feel that way about a lot of nonfiction books. You know, what I think is interesting, Faza, is you pointed to something, again, why I don't read books by men. Mm -hmm. Because nobody's ever told them to shut the fuck up. Mm. And it shows. True. When it comes to books like this, 4,000 Weeks, in fact, I had watched a YouTube video summarizing this. Mm. I also watched another YouTube video. It was something, again, about like managing your time and, you know being more efficient or whatever and it was a very popular book i'm forgetting the name of it um what was it i can't remember but i decided that i was going to because i i downloaded the audiobook it was a man talking and i said you know what i cannot hear this right now so i watched a youtube video summarizing it and it was like five minutes really Mm -hmm. good graphics and i got the main points out of it and i was like you know what this is great i don't need to read that book Mm -hmm. um Oh, I think it was called the 12-week year. Mm. Again, I don't want to hear somebody ranting and raving about this, but I don't mind getting the spark notes of it. What I found with women who write nonfiction, and especially when they write kind of self-help or like instructive books, there is so much more um, reflection and like thought given to the kinds of examples and the kinds of references that they pull 
that I do feel the majority of the time when I'm reading a, a book by a woman, which is almost all the time, that my time has not been wasted in mm. like reading the whole thing. Um, and I really actually realized that I do like nonfiction books. And I think for a while, I had also kind of like stereotyped nonfiction books in the way that we had stereotyped memoirs as being these like war books, like the history mm. of World War Two or like, you know, Napoleon's like strategy or whatever. Like that's what I thought nonfiction books had to be like, because I think those are the ones that seem to be respected as nonfiction books mm-hmm. whereas reading like a feminist anthology or reading um like a self-help book or something like that was not really considered to be like serious nonfiction. Mm-hmm. and not surprisingly those are a lot of the books that women read and that women write um so i i clearly have a bias and mm-hmm. like that's just the tea on that but i guess my takeaway that i want for people is if there's a book that you think might be interesting but it's like way too long for you see if there's a youtube summary of it Mm -hmm. because book talk and booktube do a great job of summarizing these Mm. really good ideas they just don't need to be long books yeah yeah there's also actually another book that i wanted to read um it's not available in canada and i don't know if it was available in pakistan when i was there but i i saw that I, i wanted to read it I couldn't find the book anywhere, but the author gave a talk on mm. YouTube. It's about an hour long. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll probably get the salient points from listening to the author speak for an hour. Mm. So that's another option for people who want to hear about a topic, but may not have the time to read the whole book, or if the book is not available, or the audiobook is not available. It's very likely that the author has given a speech about it, and it's very likely that somebody's reviewed the book. Yeah, I'm listening to a book now called The Myth of Normal by Gabor Mate. Because mm-hmm. um, I've heard him speak, yes. and I think he's quite intelligent and a good speaker. His book is 18 hours long, and it's definitely... like it's It has good points, but I am experiencing the same thing where I'm like, this could have been half as long. Yeah and equally effective so yeah Yeah. I would say try that first and often people like academics and people who write nonfiction, I think are pushed to release more and more books if one of their books has been successful Mm. or like Gabor Mate has been like a respect academic people just like want to hear more from him but like his ideas probably haven't changed that much so to like listen to his speak on topics or you know whatever whatever other content exists of his online will probably tell you all that you need to know that his book is not going to do so for example i read this book last year about this like i forgot exactly what it's called but it's like how to make decisions well properly and it was like this woman who was like a neuroscientist and also a poker player and she talked about how poker Mm. encourages you to be um very like confident in your decision making and how to decide with very little information what you're going to do and like not feel bad or guilty about the outcome which i thought was a great point she has like three other books and they literally say the exact same thing Mm -hmm. as what i just summarized right now and so that was disappointing because i i loved the first book and i was like wow this is so great oh my god she has four other books Mm -hmm. i want to read them all literally nothing new 
And I felt she was probably just, like, pushed to publish more mm. because this one book was a success. And I remember she was on, like, every single podcast. Yes. Yeah. And that one example that she gave at the very beginning, which she used to give on every single podcast, was think about the best decision that you've made. Mm-hmm. Think about the worst decision that you've made. Was the best decision one that worked out well? Was yeah. the worst one that, that, you know, one that worked out badly? And then, like, it does, for the first time when you think about that, go like, wow, oh, I'm evaluating mm-hmm. my decision making based on the outcome. That's problematic. I just summarized her entire, like, body of work mm-hmm. in the last... 20 30 seconds you do not need to read six of her books to find out yeah that decision making is not determined by the outcome summarized the myth of normal is it's not your fault whatever thing you're experiencing depression anxiety addictions it's like a combination of your childhood trauma and society yeah that's the gist of the book which i'm pretty sure is what his book about addiction was saying as well um his previous book and it's a good point i guess it bears repeating but 18 hours is a long time i feel it is a long time to be told that yeah but i'm definitely looking forward to reading more books next year Mm -hmm. i love when you find a great book that you just feel like was such a surprise and a joy yeah. And I have to say, I felt that way about a lot of books this year. Mm-hmm. I felt that way about Stay With Me. It's mm-hmm. a book that I had bought from BMV, which, if you don't know, if you're not from Toronto, is like a discount secondhand bookstore. And mm-hmm. I often just go to the sections where ethnic authors will have their last name. So usually the A section is a lot of ethnic authors. Mm-hmm. And I found this author, I'm forgetting her name right now, but I will post it in the show notes and I bought the book because I was like oh this seems like an interesting book by I think she's Nigerian a Nigerian author and I hadn't read it for like the two three years that I had it on my shelf and then I decided to read it and I really enjoyed it I was like surprised at how good this book was that I had just had in my shelf for years Mm. um I have to say finding Aftershocks by Mm. Nadia Wosu in this bookstore in Athens Greece mm-hmm. was a huge surprise yeah like it was a very small English section I had never heard of this author before but I just thought like oh her last name sounds ethnic mm-hmm. and turned out to be an amazing book yeah and there were a few other books like that which like really did impress me and mm-hmm. made me feel like wow I I wish this book didn't end yeah so I'm hopeful to feel that way about books next year. I think so. And, and and I want to write my own book. Do it. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Hopefully mm-hmm. that'll come to fruition. But in the meantime, I will be talking about my topic of global aging on the podcast with you, Fuzzy Wuzzy. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Any last words to leave the people with? I think that sums it up, but I'm excited for the books as well and to see what we recap at the end of next year. Yeah. So two big takeaways. Number one, get on Goodreads. Number Mm -hmm. two, get on Libby. 
seriously we should be sponsored we should be sponsored but it's a free app do you think they would they're both free apps (laughs) (laughs) um libby may be more north american focused but goodreads is certainly global so yeah please get on it and feel free to connect with us on our goodreads accounts bye bye